Hello and welcome to the Market Weekly Podcast. I'm Daniel Morris, Chief Market Strategist, and I am joined this week by Thibault Clisson, who is a senior ESG analyst in our Sustainability Center here at BNP Paribas Asset Management. And we're going to be talking about net zero technologies. Now, Thibault has written a really fascinating article that you'll find on our website around net zero technologies that came out a couple of weeks ago. I read it. Uh, really, really interesting. And I had a bunch of questions, Thibault, if that's okay with you. Uh, but before I go into that, maybe you could explain a bit for people uh, who aren't familiar exactly what with what we're talking about when we say net zero technologies. What does it mean in practice? What are some of the deadlines? Uh, and who's involved in that? Or what countries have committed to that? Okay, so just to, to explain a little bit what we're talking about here, uh, in 2015, uh, during the, the so-called Paris Agreement, government decided to uh, limit a rise in global temperature to well below 2 degrees and to do whatever they can to uh, reach 1.5 degrees. In 2018, the International Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, um, came out with a special report uh, explaining that Two degrees was not the same thing than 1.5 degrees in terms of impact. So that's we should uh, do whatever we can to really uh, stick to the 1.5 uh, degrees uh, Celsius in, in, in increasing temperature. And that's uh, in order to do that, uh, in order to, to maximize our chance to reach uh, the 1.5 uh, target, uh, the world uh, was needed to uh, get to net zero by 2050. So that's why now everybody's talking about net zero, 1.5, and that the, the, the deadline is 2015. So we have more or less 30 years to really uh, get from uh, 40 gigaton of, of, of CO2 to, to, to zero. And that's quite challenging for many companies, many countries. In terms of countries that have committed so far, so Europe has committed to reach net zero by 2050. South Korea, Japan has also made this kind of commitment. China, uh, they, they, apparently they will try to do it by 2060. And then there are also some states in the US that have taken such a, such commitments. So at this stage, more or less 50% of uh, global GDP have taken uh, some sort of uh, net zero commitment. And uh, now we see more and more companies that are also uh, taking this kind of commitment too. So before we talk a bit more about some of the technologies that will hopefully get us there, uh, let's talk about money. Now, one of the good things, uh, I guess you might be able to say, with the coronavirus pandemic is suddenly we saw a whole lot of countries spending a whole lot of money to address the effects of, of the lockdowns and the pandemic. And it really, I think, has changed people's mentalities about what is possible. Uh, in the U.S., we've had trillions of dollars in stimulus. The U.S. just passed another $1.9 trillion stimulus package. And so the, the numbers we used to bandy about when we discussed what was required to meet some of these targets uh, don't seem so impossible or, or unreachable. So can you talk to us a bit about really what, what do we mean? What are the, the requirements in terms of investment that, that people imagine are needed? Uh, and, and where is this money really going to come from? The, the estimation at this stage are not very precise, but we're talking about uh, massive uh, investment that are needed to, to reach this kind of target. We're talking about one to two trillion dollars per year uh, from now until 2050 to try to really reach, uh, reach the target. Uh, and the money will come from, from everywhere, I guess. Uh, some of it will come from uh, 
public spending. Uh, some of them will come from from companies. Uh, I mean, everything is needed to to reach uh, these 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 targets. So yeah, it's we're talking about quite decent amount of money. Not very precise range at this stage, uh, but uh, it's just a magnitude of of investment that needs to come. Well, and I guess from our point of view as an asset manager, that's what is is going to create the opportunity because this money flowing into these industries, into these businesses, uh, is hopefully going to give us uh, a chance to invest in, in some really quickly growing sectors. Now let's get maybe a little bit more specific, talk about some of the particular spe- uh, technologies that uh, hopefully will develop to help us reach these goals. One thing that I've been uh, reading more and more about is is green hydrogen. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about what that is and why is there this growing enthusiasm around the technology? Sure. Um, so what uh, we need to keep in mind is that reaching the net zero is quite challenging. Uh, there is still a lot of unknowns, uh, but what we know is that we need to do uh, a little bit of everything, right? We need to reduce consumption. We need to increase energy efficiency. We need to decarbonize and electrify as much as we can energy consumption. And we need to find ways to decarbonize where electrification is not possible. So that will be a shift through alternative fuels. You mentioned green hydrogen. Also some, some other technologies which are uh, capturing the CO2 uh, and store it, uh, whether it is underground or uh, use it to uh, develop new products. A lot of things have been done uh, to us regard the decarbonization of electricity production. I mean, over the last 10 years, we have seen a massive deployment of cheaper and cheaper wind and solar energy. Uh, what uh, we have figured out is that now wind and solar are uh, cheaper than the new conventional sources for new projects, and that's the case in most of the world. And it's increasingly the case for when they compete with existing uh, thermal power plants. So really, on that aspect, I think decarbonization of electricity production has been quite successful. And uh, we, I mean, it's now mature technology. Uh, but the other technologies are less mature and they are more unknowns, uh, more challenging. But uh, green hydrogen uh, is true that it has been really the, the focus over the last uh, month. There a lot of uh, enthusiasm on, on that topic, uh, a lot of announcement made by different uh, companies, different governments. Most of the countries in Europe have now official uh, targets from the governments to, to reach green, green hydrogen production. Uh, we have seen companies also trying to um, investing money in and announcing new uh, development capacities. So that's something which uh, we have seen emerge, uh, emerging for the last, I, I would say, year uh, with a real in, uh, interest. In a few words, what we're talking about when we're talking about green hydrogen is producing uh, hydrogen through the electrolysis of, of water using renewable energy. Uh, at this stage, most of the hydrogen uh, is produced through another way, which is emitting a lot of greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, this new way of producing, I mean, it's not a new way of producing uh, hydrogen, but it's uh, uh, the way countries and companies are developing now. Um, it's promising for, for different reasons. First, because when you produce uh, hydrogen through the electrolysis of water using renewable energy, you're basically not emitting any or li- very limited amount of, of greenhouse gas emissions. And uh, you're producing an energy source, uh, which is very interesting for, for different reasons. Uh, first, uh, you can store it and you can transport it uh, not quite easily, but 
it, it's it's not so challenging from that point of view. It's also uh, it can act as as a buffer for for renewable energy production, and uh, it uh, can be used for for many different uh, applications. It can be used for transport. It can be used for some industries where uh, they need heat or they need a. Uh, a uh, source of energy it can be injected into the the networks for uh, heating purposes at uh, at at home uh, so there are many different applications with one source of energy so from that perspective is quite interesting and uh, i think the 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 reason why um, there they have been so uh, much uh, enthusiasm uh, regarding uh, green hydrogen over the last year is because now people are uh, starting to uh, see the feasibility of green hydrogen being competitive with traditional hydrogen uh, in the next 10 years, let's say. So that's why we have seen a massive inflows of uh, public support uh, on, on that area. The, the reduction in cost on renewable energy production that we have seen over the last years and which have surprised uh, a lot of investors uh, is also helping a lot in, in seeing uh, this possibility of uh, halving the cost of, of green hydrogen production. Uh, the fact that also projects are becoming bigger and bigger uh, help to reduce the cost. So there, there is a lot of uh, expectations on that front in terms of, uh, of reducing the production cost. Uh, and also we have seen uh, different applications. I mean, a couple of years ago, people were wondering if it was possible to, to inject hydrogen directly into the, the gas network uh, without a big problem. We're talking about uh, uh, volumes up to 30% of total volumes that can be injected. So, so there have been some evolutions on, on that aspect uh, that has helped imagine uh, the green hydrogen as becoming a, a major uh, green technology in the, in the coming years. Yeah, and I would imagine, you know, exactly increasing the quantity of these renewable energy sources would be crucial, for example, when we think about uh, the benefits we anticipate from electric autos, if the original energy that goes into the batteries isn't from a renewable source, uh, it's not really quite the benefit that we that we would hope to see. Uh, but that might be a topic for, for another podcast. Uh, I actually wanted to ask you a separate question. Uh, if I understood correctly in your, your paper, you talked about uh, how on one hand, of course, we're developing renewable energy technologies wherever possible, but in some instances, it at least isn't yet uh, always feasible to have renewable energy sources. Uh, you talked about, uh, for example, cement production, which it just right now isn't, isn't something we can do. And as, a, as an alternative then, uh, we're looking at carbon capture and storage technologies. Uh, so tell us a bit about that, and is it really a sustainable solution? Yeah, sure. Um, as you mentioned, I mean, we can electrify it as much as we can. At one point, the, the, the final target is really to reach net zero, so to be uh, able to almost emit zero um, tons of CO2 uh, every year. And for some uh, industries or for some activities, uh, there are currently no uh, uh, technologies that allow to uh, imagine or to see uh, this kind of uh, carbon reduction. We, we have reached kind of a plateau uh, to, to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions further. So we need to find uh, other ways uh, to make sure that uh, the CO2 that those activity emit doesn't go into the, the, the atmosphere. And for, for this kind of activities, we can imagine to take that CO2 out of the, of the steam and to store it underground or to use it. Uh, so that's why for, for this kind of very specific activities, we can imagine uh, that uh, what we call CCS, carbon capture and storage, will uh, become uh, an alternative or a solution to, to really decarbonize these kind of activities. But um, at this stage, what we have seen is that um, 
these kind of technologies, when they are used in cement plant or in other uh, activities, uh, when you have an industrial process that emits CO2 and when you try to capture it and to store it, I mean, they're not developed at a commercial stage. Uh, the technology uh, is not yet mature. There are a lot of questions on the economics of this kind of project and uh, the uh, the economy viability is not a given. Uh, and uh, most of the time, for most of the projects that are currently uh, capturing CO2 and store it, uh, they are linked to oil and gas production. Well, basically, they just inject back the CO2 uh, into the depleted uh, fields. Uh, and it's it finds its, uh, its viability, its economic viability, by uh, announcing oil and gas production. So from a climate point of view, this kind of project are not necessarily well-developed or well-allocated. Uh, uh, and also there are other environmental considerations uh, that need to be taken into account, like, uh, for example, water consumption, increased water consumption, or uh, reduced efficiencies of the, 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 the assets that are uh, equipped with uh, this kind of technology, which might limit its development uh, or its deployment in the future. So we have been listening companies talking about carbon capture and storage for, for, for the last 10 to 15 years, but we haven't seen... Um, yet a big deployment. So at this stage, it's a little bit hard to, to, to imagine this technology as being the most promising one. But as I mentioned in the beginning, we will need a little bit of everything to reach the, the target. So CCS could uh, be a part of, of the solution for, for some specific cases. Great. Very, very helpful. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, there was a big uh, snowstorm in, in the U.S. and particularly in Texas uh, a few weeks ago. And, and evidently, uh, much of the Texas power grid collapsed. And you had people days, if not longer, in, in sub-zero temperatures. So it was it was quite catastrophic. Uh, but it then promoted uh, a discussion around uh, the reliability of renewables. Uh, and it, could they be depended upon to provide energy in these kind of arguably extreme situations? So the question is, how do we deal with the intermittency with renewables uh, without having to rely on fossil fuels? I mean, there are different uh, different answers to, to, to that question. Uh, it's true that it's currently one of the main criticism of renewables, the fact that uh, you don't have wind that blows uh, all the time and uh, it's uh, supposed to be less reliable than uh, the fossil power plant that you just need to turn on there to start producing uh, electricity, right? Uh, but uh, with the reduction in cost, not only on the production of uh, renewable uh, electricity, but also in, in the development of batteries, uh, that's... Part of, uh, of the answer is the fact that you can increase the reliability of renewable projects with this kind of technology and keeping uh, the uh, competitivity of, of those solutions with, uh, with the fossil solutions. Uh, but another way also to, to answer into that question is to try to develop smart uh, energy production uh, assets by mixing uh, capacities, not relying only on, on a windmill or on solar panel to balance uh, the, the production assets. Uh, and to try to uh, be as much as possible interconnected with different uh, um, areas just to, to avoid having uh, dependency on one specific asset. So a mix of new technologies like the batteries, well, it's not new, but uh, having a more smarter project than just uh, one, one asset can perfectly help in, in balancing this intermittency of, of renewables. Very good. Then if I could uh, summarize a bit what... Uh uh, you shared with us, Thibault, uh, you pointed out that we have a commitment of around 50% of global GDP uh, among the different countries to getting us to net zero uh, by 2050. However, you acknowledge that's a, a quite ambitious uh, and challenging goal. 
that's going to require a significant amount of investment. But you know, from our point of view as an asset manager, that really is going to be the opportunity. Uh, some of the technologies were uh, seen developed around green hydrogen, around carbon capture and storage when uh, a renewable energy source isn't really yet feasible in a particular industry, uh, and also developing technologies that address some of the current weaknesses with renewables, uh, for example, uh, intermittency in, in the production of power with, for example, wind. Thanks very much, Thibault, for your time today. Uh, if you, our listeners, have any further questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact. Uh, I would encourage you to go to the Investor's Corner part of BNP Paribas' website and read Thibault's article. Uh, thank him again for sharing his insights with us. Please join us next week when I'll be speaking with Jessica Tea and Jikai Chen to discuss Asian equities. Until then, we hope you stay safe and take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BMP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.